Kia ora, it's Fano, and welcome to the second episode from the back catalogue of Coffee Time Theology. Uh, this episode is about Good Friday, recklessness, reconciliation, and curtains, and we hope you enjoy. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one of his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. So Jesus' death on the cross is a profound act of love. Uh, we can maybe um, connect to the idea of dying to save a loved one, a family member or a friend even. But for a stranger who won't even acknowledge your name, that's a little harder to connect to. 
Uh, it was a profound act of love, and dare I say, a violent or perhaps reckless act of love. Well, there's been a lot of discussion about whether God can be reckless because of the song that came out recently, and you just heard us play it, you know, the reckless love of God, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Can God be reckless? Can God do something that puts, him, that puts himself at risk? To risk something with no knowledge of whether it'll be worth it or not. Because mm. to us that seems reckless, but yeah, if th- God is all-knowing... Yeah, I think that's the, the bit of not knowing the results, is that we can't, we can't ever be sure of the results, but God can. Um, I think when I was Googling, like, define reckless, you know, it said a heedless action or something, something about heedlessness. Um, and I was like, okay, it's another word. What does that mean? And, you know, looking through all of these things and um, about you know, not knowing or not caring about the consequences. And I'm like, those are actually really different things, you know, not knowing and not caring about the consequences, mm. um, either to oneself or to others. Because the whole concept, I guess, of reckless love in this instance is that God knew that Jesus would die. You know, like that there would be quite a significant amount of violence um, against him. And that was something he still wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd still go ahead with it. So I think there was a there was a word, but it was like six syllables. I have no idea how many syllables. I looked it up, it was ages ago. But there was no way you could make a um a good line out of it. You know, yeah. in, in Not cautionable so good or something, in cautionable or in anyway, um, it was a long word, but it wouldn't really fit. Yeah, well, I guess it's the what to us would be a huge risk not knowing the outcome isn't necessarily the same because God did know the outcome. But what makes it such an amazing act? Thinking about it like that is thinking that God knew how many people would come to faith and he also knew how many people wouldn't and he still did it for them anyway Hmm. it's not giving a life knowing that everybody would choose to live in that salvation Hmm. I think there's you know there's a lot of themes like in in pop culture about salvation and often there's a hero in a book who you know sacrifices his or her life to save humanity or I don't know elves this is a really a really different choice than the theme of salvation that we see in pop culture because in in those narratives you know all of humanity doesn't then get to choose whether they accept it or not and that's actually a really significant difference and that is why i think sometimes the word reckless can fit god sacrificed his whole life even for the people who would then choose to live Mm. nowhere near him and that doesn't mean the sacrifice wasn't made for them any any less than it was for everybody else I think one of the things about um, the Easter story uh, is the idea that it's really easy for us in a post-Easter world um, to look at Good Friday with Sunday in mind with the resurrection in mind with the understanding of Jesus' death made the way 
for reconciliation. This idea that because of Jesus' death, there is a pathway to be reconciled with God that didn't exist before. It's a lot easier to sit in the story of Good Friday with that knowledge sitting behind you, because otherwise it's it's just quite a grim story. You know, it's quite it's quite a grim place to be. And I think it can be really easy to move past that grief. This is what we talked about last week. Just... Yeah, it's hard to sit in the discomfort and the anxiety and the unknowing that would have been a huge part of the disciples' lives after this. Yeah, so I guess for me, at the moment, this last week and a bit of reflecting on Good Friday, it's just this overwhelming sense of, like, I actually have no idea what it would have meant or what it means to live in a world where Jesus didn't die for our salvation and be resurrected. And I think that sounds like a really obvious statement um, for a pastor to make. But the reason it's it's big is that it actually shows quite a significant turning point in human history that I, I can't actually wrap my head around what it would have been like prior to Jesus. Yeah, this this idea of like before Good Friday, before the, the crucifixion, I didn't have a pathway to God as a Gentile. Hmm. You know, like me, Stu Duxfield, before this moment, I know I wasn't I, I wasn't born, but like this is the thing that makes the one of the most significant parts of my life possible. Hmm. Without Good Friday, what would what would that mean? That's really hard to grapple with. I don't know if it's something that needs to be grappled with, but it's just and this idea of like, what would it mean to have been one of the disciples who's just like in this abject despair on Good Friday? We can't think of Good Friday without thinking, but the resurrection is is days away. Mm. I always wonder, you know, at what point did the disciples figure out the significance of what actually did happen on Good Friday? Because rushing through the story to the resurrection means that all of the importance of the story gets placed on the Sunday, but actually a lot of what was important in the story happened right here on Good Friday. I think of coming before God as a Christian, and that is drawing near into the presence of God is something that is hugely important to me. But we also know that carrying the the weight and the burden of our guilt and our shame, pretty sure that's a song, but carrying that around with us makes it impossible for us to come into the presence of God because having that cloud of darkness around us means we can't walk into the pure love that is God. It's just incompatible and this curtain ripping was God saying it doesn't matter Mm. you know you don't have to let what you're carrying stop you from coming into my presence I want you to come into my presence anyway you know I will take that off you I will take that off you so that you can come in here with me and experience my love and that is such a big moment and such an important principle in the lives of Christians Hmm. So from the um, passages that I read before, there were selected uh, passages from Matthew 27. Um, If you remember what I read, um, what is the bit in that that stands out? Like, what's the bit when you read those that you're just like, wow, like... Well, I think for me, for me, it's that moment near, near the end of Matthew 27, where it says, at that moment... The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's just a little sentence there. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
the curtain in the temple was what separated the presence of God from the sin of man. It was the Holy of Holies. It was the place where only the cleanest of the priests, the priesthood, done all of the sacrificial mm. offerings, who had done all of the right things. Only he could go into that place. And then God came out. And suddenly the whole world becomes the Holy of Holies. And all of us have the right to stand in the presence of God like the high priest in the temple. There is no longer a need for you know, a priest to intercede for our mm. behalf to God. We can just go straight to him. We can say, hey, God, I need to hang out. We can say, hey, God, I'm thankful. We can pray our formal written down prayers or we can just use the, the crying of our heart and God understands and will be present. Mm. That was my answer too. That was your answer too? Well, like the curtain. The curtain. Tearing moment. In saying that, I have been thinking a lot about Pilate. Uh, mostly, I think, because of a meme I saw the other day, which had Pilate washing his hands, and it had, like, a COVID-19 um, thing in the corner, and it was, like, Pilate obsessively washing his hands before it was needed or something. Be like, Pilate, wash your hands at, at moments notice. Um, and that just made me chuckle. But... The, this idea, uh, in Matthew 27, it says, where he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Just a really grim... No, that statement, all the, all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. There's not a lot of things, I think, that you'd be willing to be like, hey, blame me and my kids for this. True. Like, yep. um, in terms of, like, legacy. So for, like, our son, it's like, what would we love to be handed down as, like, well, this is what his parents were known for. Or, what you know, this is what that family is known for. It's on, it's on us and him as a family of blah, blah, blah. Like, blame them for this. Um, you know, that's... It's just a really interesting thing. And I think the thing for me is that it just it shows that the people were like a hundred percent committed to this course of action. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can hold me accountable for this, but you know, I'm also staking my children's reputation and well being on this. Mm. And it's it's just something that I haven't really wrestled with much. You know, we moved past it, the you know, the crowds, they turned on Jesus and they're like, crucify him and but this you know, like they just they turn on him and, and crucify him, crucify him. Because he offended them, he offended their religious beliefs, they're not he is not what they wanted, and they're so sure that he's not what they wanted. They're so sure at this point that he's not the Messiah that they're willing to stake their family's reputation and the blood is on us and our children, you know, is the statement in this. And I don't know, I guess where this goes for me is being like, how sure do you have to be in that statement? You'd have to be pretty sure. And so, like, how sure are we of some things where, like, hey, blame us, like, or, you know, blame Jesus, blame God, blame... And as Christians, like, how sure are we of certain things that we're just wrong in? I don't know, that's a, that's a whole can of worms. That is a whole um, can of worms. Which we don't necessarily need to talk about right now. But it's it's quite interesting because it's I go off on a different tangent from that verse. Sure. Sure. That makes me think about how there was there was a line in a in a book I read once again bringing it round to books um, where 
a child had done something wrong and the person responsible for the child you know said to them that each child is so sure that the bad things they do are the worst things that have ever been done in all of time and the blackest black mark against them and I think about the bad things I've done and there's this sense that we feel like something has to happen for that you know it can't be just that they can just be forgiven it can't be right that suddenly all of this guilt and shame that I carry around it can't be right that it could just disappear and so something something has has to happen to equal that Mm. if that's going to be taken away from me and I think that's where I can really in a kind of weird way I can understand why the the animal sacrifice practice of the temple would actually have a really calming effect because you've done something wrong and something paid the price for it you know it's it's paid for you know the the ledger doesn't have debts owing in it. So I I think about all of the people answering like his his blood is on us and on our, our children. It's like we are kind of bloodthirsty and sometimes we feel like So like so are you saying that the like this line actually comforts you? Like the idea that Jesus' blood is on us and our children is actually a, a comfort. Is that what you mean? Well, so I, I can understand how knowing that the price has been paid mm. is a comfort. Totally. I guess where I was coming from is the people didn't know a price has been paid here. You know, so for the people yelling, his blood is on us and our children. I don't know if they're yelling, they just answered. For me, I think the, the flip is that, like, and they were, you know, they didn't think this was their messiah. And they were wrong. And in that, Christ still died for them. And a path for reconciliation was open for them and their children. And I think that's the bit that, that stood out for me, is no matter how just no matter how wrong we can be and the, the, the hurt we can cause, like them causing the death of Jesus, like all of that hurt that was caused by it, by, the, by their actions, Jesus still died for them. You know, the curtain was still torn so that they would have a path to reconciliation. Hmm. Uh, and that's just for me it's the reminder of reading that of being like man like I have been wrong like I have been very wrong before about things like I was you know 100% convinced this is the right thing to do and then did it and it's like well that turned out poorly that was not the right thing to do and in that there is a path of reconciliation Uh, it's not I'm not talking about like you know I did something wrong and I broke something and now like it's okay there's a path of reconciliation and the thing is not broken anymore like hey Grace I broke your guitar but it's okay because like you know I guess there's still material consequences but the idea that like no matter what I do the path has been made for me to be right with God again Mm. I guess it's just it's a verse that I haven't really considered it's a reverse I've just moved past of being like yep Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Blah, 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 blah. You know. Blood on their hands. Yep, Blood yep, on their yep. hands. Cool, cool, cool. Move on. Move on. And it's like, whoa, like, no, no, like, there's conviction in that statement. Yeah. I, I also really love the very deep sense of irony that comes through that line because you know all of the people answered his blood is on us and on our children it's like they intended a murder that's what they intended but look what they got the rip in the temple and god being available for the whole world hmm. i think of the the conclusion of joseph's story which if you come along on a sunday we haven't got to yet <laughs> But, you know, the the line where Joseph says, you know, what you intended for evil, what you intended to harm, God intended for good. Mm. What was intended to be 
blood on them and on their children for a murder is blood on them and on their children, but for sacrifice. So I guess this morning um, we've talked about Good Friday being a day of of reflection, of looking at a story that is the pinnacle moment, I guess, of our faith. It is through Good Friday and Easter Sunday that, or the, oh, it's through Jesus, but because of what happened on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, that we have salvation, that we have the ability to come to God. And it's something worth reflecting on, because there's heaps and heaps heaps of stuff in the story of Easter that can make you pause and think you know that can be new each time you read it and I've gone to a number of Good Friday services you know uh-huh. um, so many so many and there's always something in them that while not well not always new revelation I think there's always room for new res- new revelation and always room to come back to the story with just a little bit of humility and being like wow I've done dumb things. And this moment of agony or this moment of unknown that the that the disciples would have been in, I don't have to sit in that. I can know that I'm right with God. I can come to God. So like this idea that there is room for reflecting on this story, even if you've heard it a million times, if you've sat under it, it's still worth reading through the gospel and the story of Easter Good Friday and just listening for something new, some new revelation and discussing it with someone. So as we reflect on this Easter season and we spend time with God on this Good Friday or whatever day it is that you happen to be listening to this, (laughs) um, we can take a moment to reflect on the story and the bits we know and we can also take a moment to to pray and to ask God to reveal himself to us in a new way when we read the story again take a deep dive into a verse that catches your attention to spend some more time meditating on a theory or a thought or the history behind something that someone says I think it's also important to come to this Good Friday remembering that this is the moment that allows us to come before God this is the moment where the barrier between us was destroyed and we can come before him with everything that we're carrying and he gathers us in he pulls us into his love and he says you know welcome home beloved child and that's because of good friday dear heavenly father thank you as we reflect on good friday and we reflect on the events and the gospel narrative we think of the impact that they have on our own lives We come before you now because of the sacrifice of Jesus and we thank you for the opportunity to do so. You have carried all of our guilt and shame and you make it possible for us to live in your love, to carry your love out to the world and to show everybody who you are. As we continue the rest of our day, be with us, we pray. Help us to see your love and to show your love to everybody else around us. Help us to live the reality that is that ripped curtain as we come into your presence and we sit and we ponder. Amen.